Welcome back to the Durst Show, the January uh, 6th committee show uh, continued today, filled with coming attractions and uh, uh, obvious uh, photographs of people together. Um, it, it so much reminded me of the McCarthyite hearings of my youth, um, one-sided, uh, only witnesses called by the members of the committee, no cross-examination, no opportunity to present uh, other witnesses. But many Americans are falling for it. Uh, many Americans have written to me and said, gee, haven't, haven't these uh, witnesses uh, changed uh, your mind? Well, there's, there's not many minds of mine to be changed. Uh, you know my position. I think that what happened on January 6th was were wrong. Uh, I think the president, although his speech was constitutionally protected, should not have been given, even though we use the terms peacefully and patriotically. I think it uh, may have helped uh, contribute to some people uh, going into the into the Capitol. Um, I, 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 I myself believe the election uh, was relatively fair and that Joe Biden is our legitimately elected uh, president. That's why I wouldn't defend President Trump at his second impeachment. I didn't want to in any way be perceived as um, in any way suspecting that the, that the, the election uh, was rigged or stolen. Um, so my views are, are, are as usual, complex and, and nuanced, but my views on the January 6th committee are, are very strong and uh, it's a disgrace to American uh, law and justice and, and due process. <clears throat> For those of you who believe the results uh, and the witnesses, let me give you an analogy. You've all heard of grand juries, grand juries in the Constitution. States don't have to have grand juries, but the federal government has to have a grand jury. What's a grand jury? A grand jury generally is 23 citizens who are called to listen to one side of the case. The prosecution presents hearsay testimony, double hearsay testimony, triple hearsay testimony, police testimony, totally one-sided. Are any conclusions supposed to be drawn from a grand jury proceeding? They indict. And what does the judge tell the jury? And what does the Constitution tell Americans? The presumption of innocence still prevails even after a grand jury indictment. We still have a presumption of innocence. A person who's indicted by a grand jury is, at least in constitutional theory, as innocent as you and me. Why? Because his side or her side haven't been prevented, haven't been presented. It's just like the January 6th committee. You hear witnesses selected by the prosecution, no cross-examination, no objections, no concerns about hearsay. And the only issue that the grand jury is supposed to decide is, is there probable cause, probable cause to bring somebody to trial? What does probable cause mean? It doesn't even mean more likely than not. It certainly doesn't mean proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So nobody should conclude anything from the January 6th committee. You should conclude that the presumption is innocence that until and unless there are due process safeguards introduced into the committee, 
which include the right to cross-examine witnesses, the right to present adverse witnesses, the right to confront witnesses, no conclusions should be drawn. No conclusion should be drawn based on hearsay testimony. The crucial evidence about President Trump grabbing for the wheel, I don't know whether that's true or not. All I know is the evidence was at least double hearsay, maybe triple uh, hearsay. And when one of the members of Congress was said, well, what's the corroboration? Uh, that member of Congress, my former student, Jamie Raskin, said, oh, it's corroborated. Her testimony itself is corroboration. Well, he must have missed the class on hearsay and corroboration that day. Uh, you don't have self-corroboration. Corroboration requires physical evidence or testimony by other people. So there's been no corroboration. In fact, some of the uh, allegations have been disputed. Uh, we haven't heard from the witnesses who've disputed it because obviously the committee doesn't want to call them. The committee wants to cherry pick only witnesses that serve their agenda. Now, some of them are inside witnesses, members of the Proud Boys, but you know we always have that. Uh, every time there is a, a grand jury hearing, you're going to get people from the gang testifying. They've been given a deal. They've been given immunity. They've been promised they'll be treated fairly. And um, good lawyers are able to cross-examine those kinds of witnesses. And the witnesses that testified today from inside obviously should be subject to cross-examination, but, but they haven't been subject to cross-examination. And we saw another McCarthyite tactic today. There were photographs and it showed various members of the Trump administration in photographs with bad guys, with people from organizations that obviously none of us want to uh, support. But, you know, that's that's guilt by association. We don't know what they were doing there. I have posed, you know, when I make speeches uh, all over the country, uh, when I used to, before I was uh, canceled, but when I used to make speeches all over the country, people would come up to me and they would uh, be photographed near me. I didn't know who they were. Are they criminals? Uh, who knows? Uh, I'm not responsible for people who take photographs with me. And there was no effort to explain what these photographs were, what the context was. So I want you to expose and subject this hearing to the shoe on the other foot test. Let's assume the following hypothetical, which I would oppose just as strongly. Let's assume the Republicans take control of the House in the 2022 election. And let's assume they decide to have hearings with no Democrats, or maybe one or two Democrats who really don't support um, uh, the Democrats, but support their point of view, you know, analogous to what's going on here with Cheney and, and others. And let's assume that the hearings are conducted about Black Lives Matter violence in Seattle and Portland um, in following the George Floyd uh, killing. You'll know that uh, there was a lot of violence. Uh, police cars were burned. Courthouses were blocked and taken over. Um, injuries, some deaths. Uh, I'm not analogizing taking over the Capitol to Black Lives Matter violence, but I'm just using it as an example of what you would think and what Democrats would think and what people who support Black Lives Matter would think if the kind of hearings that were conducted about Trump's role in January 6th and the role of Republicans in the administration in January 6th. What if the same kind of hearing were conducted 
of Black Lives Matter? What if some insiders were called and given deals and said, oh yeah, we planned this and, the, and, and, and it was very well coordinated and this person at the top who's the head of this organization really knew this and knew that. No, no cross-examination, no, no other witnesses on the other side. Uh, they planned to burn down uh, police cars. They plan to uh, attack um, uh, courthouses. They plan to uh, engage in, in violence against others. It wasn't spontaneous. It was all planned. And, and the proof is we have these witnesses, not cross-examined, not subject to confrontation, no adverse witnesses on the other side, but we're going to portray to you the role of Black Lives Matter in these um, uh, violent uh, demonstration. Now, look, let's be very clear. A lot of what happened in Seattle and Portland was constitutionally protected. It was legitimate protest, but there was some violence and there were uh, illegal actions taken. But that's analogous to what happened on January 6th. The people who went to the Capitol to peacefully and patriotically demonstrate, they were wrong on the merits. The election was not stolen but they had a right to a protest. And some people went in and including one of my clients who was invited in by the police and some people who went in, not my client, engaged in either violence or property theft or destruction. And of course we know somebody was killed by a police person in, in, inside. Um, so, you know, there's no perfect analogy and of course, Obviously, this is the difference between the role of the president of the United States and the role of the head of Black Lives Matter or, or any of the heads of any other organizations that engage in violence. And, you know, when I was growing up, who engaged in the violence? A lot of it was done by labor unions. Uh, labor union violence was very common. And we had hearings in Washington about it, the Keith Hour Committee and other committees and the relationship between unions and organized crime. And you know, that's the kind of thing that was going on. Bobby Kennedy was one of the lawyers um, for one of these committees and um, has been much criticized by history for the role he played. Again, no two riots, no two demonstrations, no two protests are exactly the same. But I just want you to imagine what, what liberals like me would think if the Republicans convened a hearing, which was the mirror image of this one with the shoe on the other foot. I would be just as strongly opposed to it. I would be having a podcast, saying the same thing, making the same points. You'll remember that before uh, I defended President Trump uh, in his first impeachment, um, I had begun to write a book called The Case Against Impeaching Hillary Clinton. I don't make political positions. I, I, I take legal positions. Before Hillary Clinton was elected, Republicans said they would impeach her on the day she got into office, and, and they would have probably tried to, and I would have defended her if she had asked me. Even if she didn't ask me, I would have defended her in the court of public opinion. And if Biden were to be impeached today, I'd defend him. Um, I've got critical of some of the things he's done, but he's not come close to committing any impeachable offenses. I don't think that President Trump committed any impeachable offenses, though, as I said, I disagree with uh, what he did on January 6th. And, and I'd be interested in knowing more uh, from the committee. And the committee would have credibility if only they had 
a more nuanced and more two-sided approach, but 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 they but they don't. And and Jamie Raskin again, my student, said the president did a terrible thing. He actually argued that the election was uh, improper, whether he believed it or not. What Jamie Raskin forgot to tell us, and of course CNN wouldn't confront him with this, is he did the same thing when Trump was elected and beat Hillary Clinton. He tried to organize efforts to try to undo the election legally and lawfully in Congress and try to get members of Congress to do this and that and the other thing. But, but you know, he wasn't satisfied with the election results and he decided to do what he could do to undo the election results. I did the same thing when I was a lawyer um, in the Bush versus Gore efforts. I represented the voters in Palm Beach County who were subjected to an illegal butterfly ballot which resulted in many, many, many votes, many more than were necessary to elect Gore president of the United States, went to the wrong candidate. You'll remember that fact. The butterfly, the butterfly ballot was written in a way so that the residents of Palm Beach County, many of them Jewish, uh, punched the wrong button. Um, they thought they were voting for Lieberman, the first Jew ever to be on a ballot. But if they punched the Lieberman button, uh, the whole, uh, the vote went to Pat Buchanan, the most unpopular candidate ever to run in any Jewish neighborhood. And Pat Buchanan got more than enough votes from Jews to, to determine the outcome of the election. And, and, and uh, George Bush was elected president based on the butterfly ballot, the illegal butterfly ballot. And um, I tried to litigate that, unfortunately. Uh, 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 Gore, uh, did a terrible job in, in contesting his election. First, he hired the absolutely worst possible person to argue his case in the Supreme Court, uh, a lawyer with no uh, constitutional experience, very little appellate experience, and uh, very little preparation, who did a, just a god-awful job. Um, David Boyce, who I am now suing, so I may not be objective about it, but just watch David Boyce's argument someday in Bush versus Gore. And then ask yourself, did Gore really ever really want to be president? If he wanted to be president, he wouldn't have hired uh, uh, David Boyce. He also wouldn't allow me to continue to contest the Palm Beach um, butterfly ballot, which I think we could have won had we contested it. But uh, he called off that aspect of it. And look, uh, Bush had a much better legal team, much better legal team than than, than Gore did. And uh, that's why Bush was president of the United States. He won basically not at the polls. I think more Americans, uh, well, we know that more Americans voted for Gore than for Bush, but I think more Floridians intended to vote for uh, uh, Gore over Bush. But because of his, in my view, in my opinion, inept legal team and his own ineptness in not pushing uh, hard enough, um, uh, he lost the election. I'm not saying he should have protested to the degree that President Trump did. No, I think President Trump is wrong in not having conceded. Um, but remember, the 2000 election was really, really close. I mean, it was decided by a few hundred votes uh, contested in one state, and the Supreme Court called off the recount. That was really a close election. This most recent election was not a close election. Uh, um, President Biden won by many millions of votes and by a considerable number of electoral votes. That doesn't justify this committee. You know, it's so hard today for Americans to say 
look, I'm on one side politically, but on the other side legally. I'm on one side uh, in a partisan way, but if I look at the Constitution, I have a very different view. And I just think that 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 that's not a mindset that Americans have. Today, the ends justify the means. If you're a Trump supporter, then of course, everything the committee is doing is wrong. If you're anti-Trump, everything the committee is doing is right. There's very little room for people like me, and I hope some people like you, who say, look, the election was legitimate. Uh, Trump should not have done what he did. He shouldn't have made that speech. Um, there shouldn't have been any people who went into uh, the Capitol and committed violence. Yeah, all of that is true. But the committee is a violation of the rule of law. The committee is not operating uh, properly. Uh, instead, Americans just take the position. If you're anti-Trump, the committee's perfect. If you're pro-Trump, the committee is perfectly wrong. That's not the American way. And that's not the way toward truth. That's not the way of justice. That doesn't pass the shoe on the other foot test. And just think, I mean, what you always have to think about is if you like what's going on on January 6th committee, ask yourself, would you like it if it were the Republicans doing it and if they were doing it to one of your candidates? Or when you look at efforts to try to find crimes to go after Trump and to go after Bannon, ask yourself whether you would have supported that or did you support it when G.A. Gahula was trying to find crimes against Martin Luther King and against radicals and against people accused of left-wing sympathies. Unless it passes the shoe on the other foot test, it's not valid. And I probably should write a new book called The Shoe on the Other Foot Test. Look, I'm busy writing. Today Today is actually the publication date. The Price of Principle is my new book. And it's all about that issue. It's all about what happens to somebody. I use myself as an example, but I use others as well. When you stick to principle and refuse to take sides, both sides hate you. Neither side will support you because principle doesn't have supporters. The right has supporters, the left have supporters. Biden has supporters, Trump has supporters. Conservatives have supporters, liberal have supporters. Republicans, Democrats. Principle doesn't have a constituency. Principle doesn't have people who support them. That's why I had to write the book. You know, I, I end the introduction to the book with the following statement. By the way, the book is dedicated to my, my doctors at my age. It's the doctors that keep me writing. But I end by saying this book and the introduction, this book is about efforts to cancel me in my career because I have insisted on sticking to my principles instead of choosing sides in the current culture and political wars dividing our country. My opponents may succeed in temporarily canceling me in certain venues and media, but they can never cancel my writings. The virtue of books, unless they are burned or permanently censored, is that they endure beyond any particular era. Hence my motivation to continue writing as I approach 84 years old. Look, I may not be able to speak at the library in Chilmark, Massachusetts, public library, I think probably has some pu public funds and may have tax exemptions. 
but they are discriminating based on, um, on, on political considerations. So I can't get an audience at the Chilmark Library. By the way, I am speaking at the West Tisbury Library, which is nice, but not in the Chilmark Library because Chilmark is politically correct and people like Dershowitz can't expect to be listened to, although I had the biggest overflow crowds in the history of the Chilmark Library whenever I spoke there. But they can't ban my books. They probably won't carry my books. My books probably won't be in the Chilmark Library. You're going to have to go on Amazon. You're going to have to spend the whatever, a few bucks getting it. Because the libraries, like the Chilmark Library, won't even carry my books. I mean, there are libraries that, that carry Mein Kampf, but who won't carry books today that are perceived as politically incorrect. So libraries are part of the problem. And that's why podcasts, books, those are the important ways because in America under our first amendment, they can cancel us, but they can't shut us down. And so I'm gonna to continue to write. I hope you continue to read. And in the meantime, let me turn to some letters. Okay, uh, you know, a couple of nice ones. Uh, thank you for being so fair-minded. You're helping me restore my faith in humanity. Don't worry, there's more to come. Um, uh, I respect you for your principal practice of law. I don't respect you for voting for Joe Biden. It shows me that you have really poor judgment when voting for American, me and, you know, how many tens of millions of others who, who, who voted for him. Uh, bad judgment is not the criteria for voting. You vote for who you think is the best or often in my case, who's the least worst of the candidates. And, um, and we each have a right to vote however we want. Uh, then this is, you, you always get one of these. You have not, you have not come to know as you ought to Judaism. Judaism is a synagogue of Satan. Yes, the children of Israel were once God's people, and the Lord will restore the nation of Israel upon his return, not because they are even practicing Jewish people, but because they receive Christ. Apart from the redemptive work of Christ, there is no redemption. And then he goes on, voting for Biden, there is no covering for checking the box for Satan. It takes some discernment of actually possessing a spirit of Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. Happy to sink. Happy to be in the sand. I'm going to continue to do what I think is right here on earth. I'll leave it to God to judge me uh, in the world to come. But I'm not going to be judged by people who regard Judaism as the synagogue of Satan. Okay, of course Trump is being criminally prosecuted. The smart people know this. At, knew this at the beginning, drain the swamp, including P.O.S. Dushowitz, P.O.S., you know what that means, peace out. Okay, so, you know, you, you get intelligent thought combined with this kind of thing. A good intelligent argument. Uh, as the president is heading to the Middle East this week, assuming that an attempt to revive the, new dorm, the now dormant peace process will be at least part of his agenda, in your opinion, Professor, what should be his best approach? Should he go back to the same paradigm that failed us again and again for decades? Or should he stick in some way to Trump's plan, which got us some success, like the Abraham Accords? Or maybe you have some better ideas. What would you advise him? Should he ask you? Well, he hasn't asked me. Obama asked me. Um, Trump asked me. But President Biden has not asked me. But that won't stop me from giving advice. My advice is to give the Palestinians an ultimatum. 
to say, look, the Israelis have offered you a state. Uh, in 1937, 1938, 1947, 1948, 1967, 1990, 2000, 2001, 2005, 2008. They're still offering you a state, but you have to sit down and negotiate. You have to we're counting on no Arab state will ever make peace with Israel unless Israel gives in to the Palestinians. You were wrong about Egypt. You were wrong about Jordan. Now you've been proved wrong about the United uh, Arab Emirates. You've been proved wrong about uh, Kuwait. You've been proved wrong about uh, Morocco. Uh, hopefully you'll soon be proved wrong about Saudi Arabia where the president is visiting as well. So Palestinians, you want a state? Fine, negotiate for it. Stop your terrorism. Stop your pay-to-slay policies where you give incentives to terrorists to murder Israeli civilians and you promise their families that they will be well taken care of and they'll be built a new home and they'll be given money. That's not the road to peace. And I'm hoping that, that, that President uh, Biden will make that clear to the Palestinians. Um, all right. Yes, this farce, meaning the uh, committee uh, hearings, should be considered a crime and investigated as such. It is an illegitimate committee that is providing false witnesses who are given false testimony. So, yes, every aspect of this nonsense is criminal and its very nature and origin. I fundamentally disagree with that approach. Look, you know my feeling about the committee. It's wrong. It violates the rule of law. The witnesses aren't cross-examined. We shouldn't believe what we hear without due process, but it's not criminal. You can't conflate things that are wrong with criminal. For it to be criminal it has to violate a criminal statute. I do not believe that we have seen, I haven't seen at least, obvious evidence of perjury or subordination of, of perjury. Those would be, those would be crimes. What we're seeing is a one-sided presentation, and it shouldn't be permitted. Congress should have rules. I thought Congress did have rules. Now, look, the blame is not all on one side. Let's remember that initially there was a proposal to have a non-congressional committee like 9-11, consisting of experts and outsiders and neutral people, look into the events of January 6th. I favored that completely. So did many people on the Republican side and on the Democratic side. But the Republican leadership opposed it. And only then did um, uh, Majority Leader uh, Speaker uh, Pelosi set up this ersatz phony committee. Now, she then made a terrible mistake. Um, the Republicans put two people on the committee, Jordan and I forget who else, who she didn't like. So she, without, I think, any authority in the law, basically said, no, 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 you Republicans, you can have Cheney on the committee, sure, but you can't have people on the committee who we don't like. The so that was a terrible mistake. Then the Republicans made a mistake. Instead of saying, all right, we're going to object to that, and at every hearing we're going to stand up and say you were wrong in keeping Jordan and the other guy off, but we're going to at least send you our four members so they'll have a chance to cross-examine, call witnesses. 
you know, minority members don't have all that much power, but they have some power. They have a chance to talk. But the Republicans decided that politically they'd be better off not being part of the committee at all because they knew what the conclusions of the committee would be. But you can write a dissenting opinion if you're if you're um, uh, a dissenting member of the committee. So I think the Republicans made a mistake. So the Republicans made the first mistake, not having a nonpartisan commission. Democrats made the second mistake, kicking off the two people who Nancy Pelosi didn't like. And the Republicans made the third mistake by not appointing people who were satisfactory to Pelosi, objecting all the way through, knowing it was wrong, but nonetheless, going forward so that at least the American public would have an opportunity to hear some cross-examination. You'd have legal counsel from the minority. You'd have a dissenting opinion from the minority. But instead, what we have is this, this, this circus. And it's a disgrace to America to have this kind of one-sided hearing. And, you know, are the losers the Republicans? Yeah. The losers the Democrats? Yeah, because they don't have credibility. But the real losers are the American public. We have the right to the truth, and neither side wants the truth. The Democrats want the Democratic version of the truth. The Republican want the Republican version of the truth, and no one wants Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite, remember him? He was the great commentator on CBS, who everybody trusted because he didn't allow his own views to interfere with his analysis. You know, I knew Walter Cronkite toward the end of his life. He actually had some pretty strong views. And they were pretty liberal, but you'd never know it watching television and watching Walter Cronkite. I hope I'm not Walter Cronkite, but I hope I can emulate him to some degree in the sense that I don't let my own political biases, who I voted for, et cetera, interfere with my constitutional analysis. I'm sure many of you think I do, whether unconsciously or consciously, but it is certainly my goal and my purpose to be as objective and neutral as I possibly can be. And that's why I love this podcast. I even love the letters. Not all of them uh, are ones that uh, I, I, I can approve of, but keep writing. And uh, come back tomorrow for the Dirt Show.